Morning everybody and welcome to Redeemer King. My name's Carl Beach. I'll be speaking to you today from the book of Exodus. Now, Steve Parker, uh, one of our team, he's the Bible teacher on the team really and he gave a big overview. That's always his job with a sermon series. If you haven't seen this, you need to check it out. He gave a big overview of Exodus last week. So you need to check that out. My job this week is to look at Exodus chapter 1 verses 1 to 22 and it's actually it's a really tough passage um, and I am going to take the time to read it so if you have a Bible with you or on your phone or wherever you are uh, let me read through this and then I'm simply going to speak to it and tell you what I think from the Bible is going on here and think about some practical takeaways for us as we head into the rest of our week so here we go this is exodus chapter 1 verse 1 to 22 now these are the names of the sons of israel who came to egypt with jacob they came each one with his household reuben simeon levi and judah issachar nebulun and benjamin dan and naphtali gad and asher all the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were 70 in number, but Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the sons of Israel were fruitful, and increased greatly, and multiplied, and became exceedingly mighty, so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt, he didn't know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply, and in the event of war they will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labour. And they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. The more they stood against them, the more they multiplied. <laughs> the Egyptians, verse 13, compelled the sons of Israel to labour rigorously and they made their lives bitter with hard labour in mortar and bricks and all kinds of labour in the field, all their labours which they rigorously imposed on them. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other was named Pua, and he said, When you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stall, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and became very mighty. Because of the midwives feared God, he established households to them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter 
you are to keep alive. <laughs> this is this is a grim passage of the raging king of Egypt seeking Pharaoh seeking to wipe out God's people. It's as simple as that. But there's a few things here we need to just take note of. Um, I mean, the growth of Egypt here, as someone once said, the growth of Egypt, uh, growth of Israel is the grief of Egypt. There, there's, this, there's this rage in the background. And we have to ask, where is this rage coming from? Where is this hate and fear coming from? That's one question. We also need to ask a question, how do we make sure that we don't unwittingly take part in the schemes of the devil? which is clearly fueling the rage of Pharaoh. And the other thing is to understand that God is always working his purposes out. And, and let's start with this. Now, verse 6 says, Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation, but the sons of Israel were fruitful, verse 7, and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. There is a gap of about 400 years between the death of Joseph and all his brothers in that generation and the Exodus. There is a period of time here where the people of God are under huge oppression. And whilst they are multiplying, there is still suffering. There are periods of time in our lives when God just seems quiet you know this this moment we probably all have where we cry out where are you God how can you be letting this happen to me where are you in this this storm or this this incredible oppression that I'm going through all of us go through this. I mean, this here, this is the big scale. This is the macro scale stuff of the movement of nations and God working his purposes out and the schemes of the devil, which we'll come on to. But just to be practical and realistic for a minute about our lives here in Chesterfield or wherever it is you're listening from, in the micro level of our individual lives, we all have moments where we feel like God is absent, right? All of us have that. But if there's one thing we see time and time again, is that even though it may seem that the Lord is silent, he's actually at work. And he is working his purposes out. And as I look back over many years now following Christ, and as I listen to the stories of many of my friends, people that I know as I've journeyed with people in pastoral ministry, there have been many, many times when I have said, where is God in this? There have been many, many times when I've heard people cry out, where are you, God? Only to look back years later and see that God is actually working his purposes out. Let me just say this. It is clear from this that there will be times when it seems like God is distant or far away. But actually, he is always at work. 
he's always faithful and he's always working his purposes out even in these periods of silence I mean there is a 400 year gap or so between the old covenant books the old testament and Malachi to the start of the gospels was God not doing anything or is he working his purposes out through history and through generations and we believe of course and we know that he was and he is he always finishes what he starts and he's always at work even if from your perspective you can't see it one of the great secrets to finding peace in the Christian faith in the in our walk before Christ is is simply to have trust and faith that God is working his purposes out I can see that in my life I've seen that in the lives of my friends so when you find yourself being honest with God and saying where are you in this remember the exodus remember that 400 year gap remember that God still was working towards uh, his son living dying on a cross destroying the works of Satan even though we still have to live in the here and now and even though we go through periods where God is seemingly quiet he's honestly always working his purposes out and what we know is that actually when it comes to this passage that God had made a covenant with Abraham so in Genesis 12 1 it says now the Lord said to Abraham go forth from your country and from your relatives and your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I'll make your name great so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and you in all the families of the earth will be blessed so what we're actually seeing here is exactly what I'm saying God said I will make your nation great no, no matter what comes your way you, you will be blessed the one who curses your curse and all your families of the earth will be blessed well no matter how much opposition resistance death was brought upon God's people here in Exodus God kept multiplying them despite opposition and resistance of the worst kind God is still working his purposes out and no matter what kind of way he kept blessing them it doesn't mean to say that we don't go through suffering and trials to say that Christians are exempt from suffering and trials is is frankly dangerous thinking we do go through suffering and trials but God is still blessing us in the midst of it and of course he's working out his plans to provide a deliverer Moses which we'll come on to in future chapters as we work through the Exodus but here what we're seeing is this macro battle this big scale battle the the cosmic battle between God and Satan and the rage that's over uh, Pharaoh the fear is actually coming from the devil he has a plan to wipe out God's people he has a plan the devil to wipe out the church he has a plan to take you down because he hates you and he's always at work the danger is when we unwittingly cooperate with him but what we do know is that if we are faithful if we are faithful to God then he is faithful to us Proverbs 10 verse 7 the memory of the righteous is blessed 
but the name of the wicked will rot. These, these midwives here, in verse 18, uh, sorry, verse 15, they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And God blessed them and protected them. And their names here are recorded. Have you noticed this? It's really, it's really interesting. The king of Egypt, basically is just referred to as the king of Egypt. The lowly midwives are named. God wanted them to be remembered because of their faithfulness. I found that really touching when I thought about that. I thought, this is amazing. Fear God. He remembers you. He wanted their names recorded for all time. All these years later, we remember their faithfulness. And that's an encouragement to us. Look, no matter what you're going through, no matter what's coming your way, no matter what temptation you have to be angry and bitter at God, yeah, pray honestly, but stay faithful. Put God first. Fear Him. And your name will be remembered by your Father in Heaven. And one day, isn't it, all, all we want is to one day go home and the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. Everything I placed in your hands, you used, you stayed faithful. You lived a life that pleased me. You gave it your best shot. What more could we want than that? But what's happening here in this particular story is that Pharaoh has become an unwitting pawn in the eternal battle to wipe out the people of Israel to wipe out the Jews actually uh, the eternal battle to destroy the work of the kingdom to oppose the work of Christ here in the here and now he'd done it many many times he he did it by trying to um, uh, dilute God's people by mixing with the Canaanites you know, in Genesis 38 he he attempts to murder them and wipe them out in the Exodus there, there are many times where he is, through history and in scripture, try to wipe out God's people because of this rage. He's trying to thwart the work of the kingdom. He's trying to destroy the lineage of Jesus Christ. That's, it. That's what's happening. Yeah. And so, you know, you'll see that, obviously, in the Gospels. Uh, in the Nativity story, which, you know, we have cute little Nativity stories, don't we, at Christmas and all the kids sing their songs and all dress up but actually it's a story of incredible conflict where yet again the rage of Satan is trying to get all the boys killed and we actually seen it is he's trying to wipe out the boys again and it's just it's a satanic rage actually that's taking place here the question I had is as I read this through as we look at this eternal battle yet again you know the enemy raging trying to bring mayhem murder and death upon the people of God and then of course we see that again uh, as I just said uh, when Herod tried to get all the boys killed uh, and both times we see a deliverer you know Moses uh, they saw these, these babies to be cast into Nile in verse 22 obviously Moses was uh, hidden in a wicker basket and uh, floated down the Nile uh, the enemy always overplays his hand 
and the deliverers raised up and of course in Christ we have the ultimate saviour and, and deliverer um, the question I had is I wonder how much we unwittingly engage in the enemy's purposes Satan hates Jesus Satan hates the church he hates the people of God he hates anyone who tries to stand for Christ he hates and rages against mission where ground is being taken and people's lives are being transformed by the by them placing their faith, hope, life and trust in Christ. He hates it. And I have to say this, and you've heard me say it again uh, before. In many, many years of Christian mission now, probably 31 years ago, I first started sharing my faith on the streets of London City Mission. I can't remember much opposition from people who don't know Christ. Mostly I found people to be very interested. Most opposition that takes place in missions and churches comes from friendly fire. It comes from infighting, rowing about secondary issues, rows about worship, rows about um, strategy, vision, gossip, tittle-tattle, things that, you know, split churches down the middle where stuff gets under people's skin Satan uses just the smallest things to get into our lives little splinters that then become big infected open wounds that bring death and mayhem and we can become unwitting pawns in that game without even Realizing it, not understanding that actually we are a small pawn being used by Satan for a massive attack and assault on God's kingdom. The church is made up of individuals who love Christ in whatever expression of church you're in, if you listen to this outside of Redeemer King. And if he can make one of us act like a splinter to bring infection and what then he will this is why over many years now I've had a major emphasis in my teaching on Romans 12 1 to 9 loving your enemies and beatitudes bless those who persecute you and giving the benefit of the doubt and believing the best and practicing hospitality and being generous and kind with our words and being gracious and you know not engaging in gossip and bitterness and all of those things it might not seem as toxic as murder and mayhem on the people of God, but it can be incredibly destructive on the life of the church. Satan uses all kinds of strategies to destroy God's work. All kinds. This is why Christ taught about being peacemakers, walking in humility, grace, kindness, gentleness, all of those things because they are they they are the the biggest weapon in our hands are in prayer the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God having what I would call an opposite spirit a life full of grace 
is the best way to suppress and fight and destroy the work of Satan who only wants to bring death and mayhem. So what we see happening here is this cosmic battle being played out to destroy the work of the kingdom. But God always, as ever, working his purposes out amongst the pain. What he's saying to us is, fear God, your name will be remembered. Do not cooperate unwittingly with the schemes of the enemy. Be someone who brings life. Trust that God is working his purposes out. We know that he has, and we know, because he read the last page, that all will be well. And so we keep our lives full of grace, and we keep our lives full of hope. We keep our lives full of the Holy Spirit, a love for the word of God and keep ourselves in a place of worship so that we're clear-sighted and not participating in the work of the enemy even unwittingly so let's go out there this week and be people of radical grace radical kindness radical followers of Jesus Christ who don't give the enemy a foothold into our lives let's be faithful that our names will be remembered by our father in heaven God bless you have a wonderful week Take care.